GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. The women's national team have been training this morning ahead of their matches against Liechtenstein tomorrow and Sunday at the Victoria Stadium. Gibraltar forward Shania Rova will be here, as will Ariane Riso, who is the GFA Women's Football Development Officer. And designing the perfect tax system, no small feat, but one that lawyer Graham Jackson has taken on through his podcast. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But what did the British Armed Forces Minister James Heapy get up to during his visit to Gibraltar? At the time of recording this, his movements and meetings remained quite hush, hush. So what do we know and what don't we know? Questions for our news editor, Christine Vasquez. What do we know? Well, nothing. We, we know nothing at all. Or certainly, we've been told absolutely nothing. I think you were very good last night when you said <clears throat> there's certainly been a lot of guesswork um, because we found out the day before that somebody was coming. Um, we more or less knew that it was somebody to do with the MOD, so that sort of ministerial portfolio. We thought it might have been uh, Grant Sharp's but then we saw that Grant Sharps was in Parliament yesterday. So it, it was a process of sort of elimination to see what we could get. As you know, GBC sent our cameramen uh, down to the airport to uh, see the, the flight arriving. By then, we, we, had, we, we assumed it would be uh, James Heapy, Armed Forces Minister. Um, again, we more or less knew that he was going to come and visit uh, Diamond, um, which is, of course, in Port... Uh, getting refueled, coming back from from the Red Sea, but uh, nothing. The the MOD has told us absolutely nothing. Which is that we, normal? Well, it's it's slightly unusual in that uh, we understand that there are security concerns, and in today's world, even more so. Security is very very tight. Uh, so certainly, perhaps no prior warning. But then, uh, once the the flight has landed, you you'd think that it would be courtesy, and I don't even think I'm talking about the media, I think it's a courtesy to Gibraltar as as a territory, as a jurisdiction, where we're hosting uh, Diamond, um, and I mean, of course, they can say, well, it's the, 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 um, the naval base, you know, it's got nothing to do with Gibraltar. But I think it, it is slightly rude and a bit of a disservice to the civilian population. But, um, yeah, you can't divorce the naval base from Gibraltar, no? I mean, they're, they're, they're one and the same. Gibraltar Gibraltar has emerged as a result of its geopolitical location uh, and our whole history depends on our relationship with the sea and we've been British for more than 300 years and, and, and that I naval can, base is I, I can understand just a part of, part of us, no? Somebody who is not so high-ranking, but here you're talking... Uh, a UK government minister, you know, he's the armed forces minister. Uh, GBC put in for uh, an interview. It was denied. Um, so, OK, so we don't get to talk to him. Even that I understand. But the the idea that we weren't, uh, I'm sure that the MOD can keep us at arm's length, you know, 50 metres away so that we can take some some shots. Um and as Basically, we, say, we haven't been invited to film any of his movements. No, and we, we've ha- we've had to sort of, beg, borrow and steal a bit to actually uh, get some images of the Armed Forces Minister in Gibraltar. Um, A bit, I think, poor form, actually. Uh, So what do we know now? Well, we know, 
as as I say, piecing things together, we've got a little spy walking up and down the the runway. So we know that the the plane is still there as we speak. Okay. So he has not left the rock yet. Okay, and um, he so so he visited uh, HMS Diamond um, probably just to, as a morale booster, no, to, to 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 personnel who have been uh, policing the Red Sea, which is the focus of a lot of international news coverage because of the Houthi rebels and uh, mm-hmm. their attacks on commercial shipping, uh, which, as we know, carry so much of uh, of goods 80% of 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 uh, global trade is is um, delivered and carried out by uh, you know th- these 100,000 um, ships uh, container vessels and and freight carriers um so so he he'll have he'll have uh, delivered some sort of you know morale boosting speech and there and said thank you we don't even know whether that was the main reason for for his visit the fact that he has come to see diamond which, which is here we, we really don't know what not even what the we're the, joining the dots no? what the aim of the visit was we do know he was met by the commander british forces and we believe that they had dinner last night with commander british forces uh, but we have not been told either by number six whether there was a meeting with number six the chief uh, minister the office of the chief minister with the, with the office of the you'd chief expect minister. that he would no that, 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 that there would be a, a yes. handshake and and, and potentially the chief minister might have been at that dinner last night. We don't know, but, um, it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be surprised if when they do make a statement after he leaves, which is what we expect them to do, that uh, they confirm that. No? That That's right. So we, we will, as as I say, the flight is still there. We don't know what he's doing this morning. We also know that, that he has met with the governor because we saw him uh, arriving at the convent yesterday. So our cameraman, uh, Donovan, um, Paparazzi Donovan Torres got some good images of him from visiting the convent, uh, but we we don't even know what he's doing now. He would have stayed the night there then. I was told that he left at nine o'clock this morning, left the convent at nine o'clock this morning. Um, so again, did he go back to HMS Diamond? Did he have um, some other meetings with the chief, uh, with the commander British forces and, and maybe other senior personnel in Gibraltar? We don't know, but uh, hopefully we'll find out a bit more That's right, after probably, he leaves. The, no? Exactly, they're probably waiting for him to take off and then hopefully we'll get some sort of press release with some sort of explanation as to why the visit has taken place. And our little spy who's still walking up and down the runway is very pleased that we've given a shout-out. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. I'm sure that you are aware, but we've got a couple of big matches at the Victoria Stadium tomorrow and again on Sunday. Gibraltar's taking on Liechtenstein. Uh, they've played them before, and uh, I know that uh, Gibraltar forward Shania Rova has uh, a thing or two to say about those previous matches. Uh, we're joined by Shania now. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for, for being here. And thank you also to Ariane Riso, who is the Gibraltar Football Association's development officer for the uh, women's team. Um, or women's football more generally, no, uh, Ariane? Uh, thank you for being here. Um, what's um, what's the mood like in the camp? I think you had a, a training session this morning, Shania, no? Uh, yeah, how's yeah, it going? It's, it's really good. Um, the intensity is definitely up there. I've just come back from the UK and honestly I'm quite surprised at the level um, of the camps that they've had. And yeah, I think we're just really excited to get into it now and, and show all the work that's been put in the past couple of weeks. So pleasantly surprised then? Very, very pleasantly surprised. <laughs> so what, like people, like the intensity, the focus? Yeah, and, and the team is gelling really well and we're just ready to like fight 
for each other on and off the pitch and yeah like just create more memories um but most importantly like the performance um i think i'm excited to just prove um what we can do as a team and individually as well so so those are the goals you go in there sort of thinking i mean they're, they're friendly matches no but but you want to you, you want to set yourself some targets um personally and and the team does as well right yeah, it is a friendly, but it's it's competitive for us. We definitely have a point to prove and every game is just another stepping stone into the team we want to become, um, not only for us, but for the future generation to see. So yeah, definitely and individually just to keep, well, starting to come back now after a long time out, I want to definitely um, show that I've come a long way and I'm ready. And how how is your football going at the moment? You're based in Loughborough? Yeah, it's really good. Um, I obviously a lot of my uni experience was just rehabbing and trying to get back um, playing after a long time out. So this season was the first full season for now that I've been able to play um, at uni. And yeah, I've I've um, come a long way, and now I've just started with Loughborough Lightning. The club. Excellent. And uh, Loughborough, for people who don't know, is a place that brings together a lot of uh, sporting excellence. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. A really strong focus. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've been at the gym and I've had Adam PT behind me. Anthony Joshua as well trains in the same gym, so it's definitely quite an experience. <laughs> does, does that sort of motivate you? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, you are treated as an athlete there. Um, we have a lot of performance pathways and programs that have just started now. So the gym sessions, the football sessions, but like the academic support that you get alongside that is really special at Loughborough. <laughs> and how do you balance those things? You talked about, um, you know, the, the sort of the different... Um, aspects of your preparation how, how do you what's the right balance of time in the gym time on the pitch it's basically just trying to better yourself as an athlete rather than a bodybuilder so like in the gym isn't it isn't just about lifting weights but rather about jumping explosive work and then you're going to take that onto the sessions later on but also focusing on the recovery because we are a university football team with the club and performance pathway together we can have sometimes three matches in like two weeks um, which can be intense so then we look at player rotation and then yeah re- recovery is is quite key good stuff um let's let's bring Ari- Ariane in um Ariane you you're sort of looking at this um not as a player as as somebody who is uh was brought in by the football association in 2022 to to um play a role in developing women's football um w- what can you tell us about you know w- the things that you've been working on that you're proud of that you think have advanced in those in those months that you've been at the football association yep so um obviously there's a lot going on within women's football and girls football i'm also um i deal with girls football as well and we've started quite a few new programs with the young ones we started like indoor um sessions we started like well fun fridays was started before i was i was involved Uh, we also started development center so to really get girls from all ages and from all abilities there's always a place for them to join and to start or to develop. Um, we have our girls teams as well, who obviously are doing really, really well. They play in the youth leagues. Um, and then obviously we have our older squads, our national team squad, the 19s, who are also competing in European qualifiers. And obviously our local league, which is is developing slowly but surely. <laughs> Good stuff. So, so across the ages, I mean... Uh, uh... To ask a, a very broad question, are there enough girls and women playing football? It's definitely nice to see. Um, obviously, I've, I've only been here for a couple of years. Um, but even from one year to the next, I think with the World Cup and the, Euro qualif- the um, Euros, there's been a lot of um, 
I suppose everyone can agree that women's football has grown massively, De- definitely, massively. Yeah. Internationally, no? And we've seen it with the younger age groups. The first year that I was involved, we had, I think, about four or five youth teams and now we've gone up. We've, we almost doubled in within one year. Um, so there's more girls involved for, for sure for years to come. So there's been massive growth in the women's game generally. Uh, I mean, we see in the UK, for example, stadiums filling up um, you know, week after week in a way that maybe was difficult to imagine yeah. uh, for the women's game just a, a number of years ago. And that growth is is having a positive impact here as well then? Yeah, definitely. I think also, obviously, our women's national team, every time they play like these upcoming matches, it's really lovely to see all the youth like the younger girls coming and watching and supporting and hopefully thinking that that could be them one day. Yeah, of course. So. You had a, a midterm camp um, just last week uh, and uh, I was there because my, my son took part uh, uh, and, and, and I saw a, a lot of girls playing football, but still many more boys. No, that's, yeah. uh, there's still... yeah, I think unfortunately right now we're still not at the, at the point that it's going to be equal. Um, but we are seeing a lot of, of girls get involved and especially there's a lot of girls that maybe don't want to play with the boys so they come to our girls' specific programmes. Mm. Um, so they're even maybe they're not in the midterm camps but they right, are in sure. other programmes. So okay, great, there great. is more than you can see as well. <laughs> great, great. Um, and uh, and then th- there are young girls playing football, there are, there are adolescent girls, there are young women and 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 it's really sort of quite remarkable how much the game has taken off in in just a number of years i mean Shania, you'll have experienced it no like if you think about how many girls and and women are involved in football compared to when you started and you, and you, you you're young yourself uh, and and you still got i'm sure many years ahead of you in your career but but it's changed so much no yeah i i had to start playing with the boys team because there wasn't even a girls team at the time so you can imagine now i'm sure Ariane has seen it as well but the like to just see more than one girls team already is impressive for me at yeah, that these younger ages so yeah um and i just like Ariane said when you play and you see um the younger girls teams coming to support us like it's something that when i was young i wish i would have had that kind of role model to look up to locally but like now that we have it in place i think it's just gonna take off here um in regards to women's football so um we're here because we've got a couple of of uh, friendly matches against Liechtenstein. Uh, what do we what do we know about the opponents uh, so we've played them already um, four times. Um, they were actually the first team that we ever, the women's team actually ever played, um, well, uh, as an official um, friendly qualifier, qualifier friendly um, friendly match. Sure. Um, yeah, we we've obviously we haven't played them in quite some time. I think it's been over maybe two years since yeah, the last game. Um, we did win win one of those games here at home. Um, so for sure, it's it's nice to maybe go back to to playing them again and seeing how far we've come. Yeah, because uh, you, you want to play matches against opponents which are, um, I mean, ideally a little bit better than you, not to lift your game, but but definitely it's nice to play against teams that you know you can score goals against and, 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 and uh, you can speak from a personal perspective, Shana. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's nice that I've scored against them previously, I think twice, twice. Um, but um, yeah, I think just as a team... Um, on the whole, I think that we can definitely push to get some goals and just even entertaining game. Um, but we want to prove a point as a team, like I said before, and we know that we've done it before against Liechtenstein. So we're going to go with that little bit of confidence as well. They've also beaten us, so we can't go too confident either. But um, I know that 
as a, a Gibraltar team, we always sometimes play against these bigger nations, um, knowing deep down that we might not be good enough. And I think that's something that with this game, we won't have um, so much doubt and we're just more confidence going into it. So do you actually um, approach the game hoping to provide some entertainment for, for the crowd? I mean, is that a consideration? No, I think it's more based on team performance. That's the main goal. We want to get the win at the end of the day. Um, but we want to do it well and um, not shying away from the goal, attacking and playing the football that we want to play rather than what the opposition um, is imposing on us. So that's the main aim, to play our own game, our own football and get the result at the end of the day. And do, would you say uh, the Gibraltar women's team has its own style? Have Have you sort of, um, you know, um, found like a some a, a style that works for you that everybody is is sort of happy playing to? Well, the the new coach um, Scott is kind of trying out new things, but he do, he does have like a certain playing style, and that is just attacking to never shy away from from the goal at the end of the day. You know, we are 11 versus 11 on the on the field. Um, so I think it's just mainly, you know, keeping that confidence high and like never shying away from attacking and, and playing that attacking football that we know we can play. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, when when you score goals in front of a, a crowd, a home crowd, it must be a, a really special feeling. Yeah, they, they are the 12th player. They are like a big motivation. And not only that, but... Even seeing like my family at home, that is a big motivation motivator for me. Um, so little things like that, and the little girls, of course. Um, yeah, definitely, it does add a little bit of that extra motivation individually and as a team. So we're looking forward to it. And uh, Ariane, we heard Shania describe, um, you know, what she's doing at, at Lathborough. Uh, do you, when when she comes back, do you, do you sense that sort of you know she's bringing back ideas, um, approaches, or I've seen this is being done, or I've started doing this. Is that sort of something that happens, you know, yeah. you, you benefit from her time away? For sure. I think that we have, well, we have quite a few girls actually over in the UK, either because they're studying or they're playing football there or they're working and they're also playing football, of course. Um, I think we have about six or seven now currently playing in UK and then we have a few obviously that play in Spain or abroad. Um, and it is always nice to see that when we do have an international camp and they all come back, they all come back kind of like having had that experience as well and combining it with the girls that we have here as well it's good to see a nice of them all come together again gel and bounce off each other i suppose yeah from a from a spectator's perspective uh, i don't know if it's the right sort of way to describe it but every time i see like a training session um i, I just think or even the the preparation for a match i think we're becoming more and more professional, the men's team, the, the women's team, you know, the, the junior teams as well. Like I like the approach. It's not just what happens on the pitch. There's so much that's going on off the pitch that is worth celebrating you know, as, as, as being steps forward. Yeah, for sure. I think um, a, lot has, a lot has happened in the last few years. Obviously, Shania was involved before me, really. Um, and I think it has taken that step up of professionalism um, even behind the scenes, as you said, they have a full coaching staff, they have a full people that will be there for whatever they need when they are in camp as well and as and when they're away. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously nice to see that when they do come back, they have that in place for them, whereas maybe in the past they didn't. And for somebody who loves football, it must be a great place to work, no? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I would have never expected it um, to work here, but I'm honestly, I love it so much. And when I see the girls play, well, the women play... Um, it's honestly, it's a different feeling when I suppose I'm watching it on TV, like you're actually involved and you know them and it's, 
it's honestly it's it's great. <laughs> okay, so uh, Shania, who's in form at the moment? You've been in training. Who who who's gonna <laughs> have a good match <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> and Sunday? Um, in terms of upfront, I think Joelle is someone you can always you know look out for. She's definitely has that like threat um, at goal, and then defensively, um, Amy Lawrence from the UK. She's She's so strong, she's solid. And then just to finish off in the mid, I might as well. Um, Kaylee Fedro, classic. Um, she'll distribute the balls really well and I think she's someone to keep an eye on. Brilliant. Um, so we've got good players in, uh, across the, the park. Yeah. No? Um, excellent. And you said that uh, the, the team is feeling confident, preparations are going well, no real pressure, no? Um, I mean, we can always add that little bit of pressure, um, but we are choosing to just focus on our game and then, like I said before, get the result. Like Ariane also mentioned, all of like the players um, that have played abroad have come together and it's actually gelled really well. Um, we're all bouncing off each other, like um, Ariane mentioned. And just, yeah, I think I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as possible um, individually as well. Brilliant. Uh, and we spoke about Scott Wiseman. Um, so he um, stepped in in May, 2020 May last year I think uh, obviously somebody who brings a wealth of experience himself um, talked a little bit about his style but what else has he sort of brought to uh, the setup that is uh, that you think is is um, is proving beneficial yeah obviously um, he's been involved he was involved in the men's national team and um, which has been I suppose a step up for years now um, so bringing that experience in all like in every aspect, in terms of organisation, in terms of how he runs things, I suppose he has a different, a different view as as a previous player. Yeah, and a very good player, somebody who, who sort of featured very prominently for Gibraltar. No? Um, excellent. Okay, so um, just to wrap up, then we're we're playing matches tomorrow, um, and then again on um, on Sunday. Um, I suppose tickets are still available. People, if they're listening to this or watching it, and and they're thinking, oh. I should I should head on down. They really should. No, they're they're, they're going to be in for a treat. Yeah. So it's tomorrow at six o'clock, and they can buy tickets. Um, they can find them on the website, or they can also go down. As from four thirty, the ticket booth will be open for for tickets. Okay. And um, uh, my my colleague Melanie has reminded me that uh, there are a couple of uh, matches coming up. Um, there's the uh, UEFA Nations League playoff first leg, Gibraltar versus Lithuania, and then uh, a qualifier against Georgia as well. So uh, there, there's a lot happening always for the Football Association in in the coming weeks and months. No, it's going to be a busy time yeah, for everyone. Yeah, this this seems to be the busiest. Even though we're busy all year round because football doesn't sleep. <laughs> um, yes, this the next few months for. The association as a whole is very, very busy. <laughs> yeah, and um, Melanie again has told me uh, that the women's under-19 uh, team is playing some qualifiers uh, in April as well, no? Yeah, so we'll be we're actually hosting them here, which is great. Um, hopefully we can get a nice crowd down as well. Um, yeah, that is the first week of April, so looking forward to that. Israel, well. Kosovo and Luxembourg. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Amazing, so some... some strong teams. No, I mean, Kosovo will be, will be strong. Will be yeah, it's good. It's, it's th- these matches, as much as they are qualifiers, and obviously we go into these games wanting, of course, to play well. It's very nice to see that players who have been in these qualifiers over the last year and a half are actually now stepping into the senior squad and bringing that edge as well. Brilliant. Okay, so uh, just to wrap up then, Shania, um, why should people head down to the Victoria Stadium tomorrow and Sunday to support the Gibraltar uh, women's team? 
aside from it being going to be an amazing game, um, yeah, the more support we get, the bigger motivation for us. And then I think just to keep supporting the women's national team is going to be uh, really important this week. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really good game. Same for you, Ariane. Why yeah. should we head down to the stadium? <laughs> for sure. I think that the, the girls are honestly, they're putting in the biggest effort and it's going to be two great games that I don't think anyone is going to want to miss out on. <laughs> on Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Graham Jackson joining us. He's taking on the, uh, I don't know, rather impossible sounding mission of uh, talking about what a perfect tax system might look like. It's a a new podcast called, well, International Tax Bites is your podcast, but this is uh, sort of like a a A mini series within within it. Exploring uh, what what sounds like a massive topic, but also a, a very relevant one, given the move towards global harmonisation. Yeah, so we're we're in. I mean, it's 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 sparked by that by that mov- movement. So we're in the middle of the biggest reform of the international taxation system in a hundred years. Um, and I do this podcast with my present co presenter Harriet Brown from England, and we decided that what we were going to do was we were going to try and take a look at the whole thing get some some big guests in people who are very well known in the tax world and see if we can get some sort of coherent version because of pod- what we would do you're podcasters yeah. but you're, you're lawyers working in yeah. the tax space yeah so as well. I, i'm international tax partner at hassan's and uh harriet is a tax barrister and jersey advocate in England and Jersey, so we cover a lot of different jurisdictions. So, so uh, it's looking at this move towards uh, a global um, approach to taxation, and and does it do it through the lens of small territories? Then, because we've got Gibraltar and Jersey, so it does. It tries to cover both. So we talk about what we what we what we're trying to understand is partly who feeds into the design of a tax system, right? So we've, what we've got right now is we've got um, a tax reform that's being driven by the OECD, which is thirty six members. Um, on instruction from the G20, which is 20 members, on an approval from the G7, which is seven members. So essentially what we've got is the core of the large economies pushing down Cl- a clubbing together, Clubbing together and deciding this is the agenda. And then eventually it filters down through the inclusive framework, which we're in. And by the way, I think we should make sure that we we stay in that because it's a, it's a, it's a global forum that we appear as Gibraltar, not as the UK in. Right. That's really important. Because we set our own tax laws. Because we set our own tax laws. Um, and it, there's very few forums where we appear as Jib rather than a, 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 sure, a, I get you. a, a territory of the UK. So it's um, it essentially gets down to the inclusive framework. And we're thinking about, is that inclusive enough? Is there an agenda there? And I think what we ca- the inclusion we've come to is that there's a lot of the big countries telling the little countries what to do. Um, and then saying, well, uh, unsurprisingly, really, unsurprisingly, yeah. right, because they've got the ec- the commanding heights of the global economy, and then they uh, push in an attempt to stop really aggressive avoidance. They've excluded probably developing nations as well. I mean, they've got different set of inputs to the small open economies like us, like Jersey and Guernsey, um, and we think that there should be much more space for diversity within the with, within the international tax system. Like so, Gibraltar system is. Uh, the, the crude and derived phrase that everybody hears that's not the standard way of doing things um and uh, and we're very we're worried that maybe that as things become harmonized diversity becomes seen more as divergence than just mm. acceptable difference okay 
and um, and I suppose there is uh, that you can understand why you want to move towards um, you know sort of like a, 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 an even playing field. But at yeah. the same time, you, what you're saying is Gibraltar and other small territories um, can stick to the rules without necessarily um, having a very strict one-size uh, suits all. Yeah. So every tax system in the world is a, is a, is a product of its socio-economic historic inputs, right? And each country has a different, a slightly different one for, for a very good reason. And that's part of the exercise of sovereignty by the citizens. I mean, that's a really heavy conversation for this time. <laughs> what did you do at lunchtime? <laughs> no, I spoke to Graham Jackson about, about uh, how to yeah, create an international tax system. Um, but so what we've achieved in the, in the series is we've brought together a lot of really heavy hitting um, thinkers, we've got. Uh, there's a guy called Dan Needle, who's he's impressive. He is impressive. I, I listened to that one. Ex um, head of international tax for Clifford Chance and a, a campaigner now uh, around uh, not only about avoidance. So he does campaign about avoidance, but he also campaigns about bad behaviour around by tax authorities. Mm. So he'll there's a thing called the loan charge in the UK, which which is particularly bad. A lot of people are being driven bankrupt by it by HMRC, and um, he's very. It's like a post office type scandal. Yes, thing, yes, everyone yeah. will have seen that. Um, and it, it, he's he's very strong on that, but he's also strong on aggressive avoidance by corporates. So he wants people, everybody, to follow the rules, not just taxpayers. And why uh, is it so important to to sort of um, ask the the obvious question? Like, why is a, a a sort of a fair tax system a good thing to to work towards? Well, um, taxes are the thing that drive our government, um, and we need to have a conversation societally around who we want to carry the burden for that. And I'm not here to tell people what the, what the, who, who that should be. What the answers are. And we may have very good reasons for having lower rates for, for higher earners to attract activity and all, all those things that, you know, that's basically been Gibraltar's position to attract um, activity. But it's an ongoing exercise of the sovereignty of the people is to have that discussion and to set their own rules within the international framework. Yeah, and and um, but not be seen as divergent is the yeah. point that you made earlier. That's the thing. And... That, yeah, you can't if you strategically set your tax base to damage the tax base of other people, then they will take action against you. Uh, yeah, and and I'm not saying that Gibraltar does or does not does not do that, but but you don't you don't understand that. No? Yeah, yeah. So, but the the reason that we need to understand diversity is not divergence is that Gibraltar doesn't do that. Gibraltar's tax base, corporate tax base, is an historic thing that we inherited from the 1952 Act and then way back before that, the 1922 model ordinance that was drafted by the by the uh, by London. We have not come along and suddenly created something that sucks tax base out of other people. We just do what we do. Um, and I don't think... I think there's a material difference there between people who carry on doing things and those that strategically go out to damage other other jurisdictions and attract tax base from them. I think that's a very different thing. So you've mentioned... Um, we're talking both about the substance of your podcast series, but let's talk about the actual podcast series, if you like. Dan Needle, uh, something of a campaigner, uh, like yeah. a warrior on, on tax, um, and he's been in the headlines in recent years, uh, a real international sort of yeah. voice. Uh, but you've also managed to pull in professionals from the Tax Foundation. Yeah, so that's Daniel Bourne. He's the CEO of the Tax Foundation, which is a, a, a nearly 100-year-old think tank in the US. We got um, Thornton Matheson. Now branching out to, to Europe. Now branching out to Europe. You, you follow my LinkedIn. <laughs> um, uh, Thornton Matheson, who's an economist with the IMF. 
uh, a guy called Peter Deitch, who's a philosopher of tax about uh, an international tax court, a guy called Sam Mither, who used to run head of international policy for HMRC and was in lots of rooms when these sort of global decisions were being made, um, a guy called um, Mbakiso Mwape, who is very important in the Botswana interna- uh, tax um, authority, and uh, he gives us a perspective on developing countries. Because it must be different. No, like yeah. uh, I was thinking, I mean, if you're looking at this from a, a country that's doing very well and, and is powerful, you might want one set of... You might advocate one approach to an yeah. international tax system, but if you're a developing country that is just trying to lift its head above the water, you, you, you might want it's a little bit more autonomy. Of, and completely different set of um, inputs and, and sort of drivers for that, so that they're much more focused on indirect taxes than direct taxes, and uh, because that the, the the transactional element of an indirect tax makes it easier for them to collect. They don't have capacity. They don't have depth of knowledge. They don't have established academics. They don't have any of these things. So, the, you know, we I, we were talking to Mbakiso, and he was like, you know, they have all these meetings, the inclusive framework, and say a country like Botswana doesn't even have the budget to send two people to every meeting. So they're just not, they don't have that capacity. It's not that they couldn't do it, but they're not there yet. So they've got different inputs. And then we we also spoke to a guy who is absolutely magnificent, a guy called Carlos Proto, who is a member of the UN Committee uh, of Experts on Tax Harmonisation, was one of the leading lights in the Argentinian um, tax authority. You know, to... It was actually quite humbling for me to talk to these people that, you know, I think I'm a lawyer, I think I can talk to anyone. But then you speak to these people and they're sort of like, they're just completely um, above. The fact that we've got economists and tax people means that there will be something in the podcast for for everybody. And if you just want a general overview of what happens in the international tax system, the Dan Needle episode, the first one, is yeah, really he's, good. Yeah, he's really, really yeah. easy to listen to. Okay, so that's uh, um, a podcast called International Tax Bites. Look for Designing the Perfect Tax uh, taxation system, a mini series within it um, with Graham Jackson and Harriet Brown. Before I let you go, very quickly, Graham, I know that there are two other issues we wanted to ask you very quickly about. Um, the first one is uh, with your Gibraltar Association of Tax Advisors hat on. Uh, there is a tax essay prize that you maybe can whet the appetite with. Yeah, so we we did this a couple of years ago before, but now it's now GAT has been established. It's come under, under their remit. Uh, it's going to be open to anybody to enter it's uh, two and a half to seven thousand words essay must be original must be within sort of academic style footnotes references that kind of thing um there will be a first prize of 750 pounds and an under 25 prize of 250 pounds and the judging panel will include me rory mullen um uh, Lynette Chowdhury from Sovereign and Jamie, Jamie Trinidad, Trinidad. Hopefully, yeah. Um, and uh, you've got a book that you're working on yeah. as well. As if, <laughs> as if you're not busy enough. Yeah, let's do let's do three th- three visits in one. Um, yeah, so we've been working on on a book for a year now in um, in Hassan's, which has been written by we've edited by myself and Isaac Levy, and written by the associates. Uh, that we're getting close to publication on, that's called On the Principles of Gibraltar Taxation, which will lay out the history, the underlying principles, the things that we've spotted with, with working within the system for so long. You know, these are the themes that run throughout. So anyone working uh, in law or, or in, in taxation in any yeah. other sort of yeah, yeah. sphere anything in Gibraltar? That's, anything that's tax-related yeah. or, or touches on tax, it'll be useful to them. There's, the, the problem that we have in Gibraltar is we don't write very often, mm. Yeah. 
and writing makes us a stronger jurisdiction. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.